This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. This is the show all about personal and professional development. I'm Christine Wong, and today I'm speaking to Judd Armstrong. Yes, I'm Judd and Armstrong, and just excited to be here and talking about raising our game. Sounds good. Great. Um, so I think uh, people who may have heard of you might know you primarily as uh, the founder of Jaybird, which you founded in uh, 2006. Uh, it was the uh, third top premium headphone brand in the US alongside Beats and Bose. Uh, but before you were a, a founder and an entrepreneur, uh, you, I think people can tell probably from the accent, are Australian, but you're currently based in the US. So can you tell me a bit about that particular transition in your life? Uh, yeah, well, you know, when you when you find something in your life that you just really want to go after and like someone that you love, someone that you meet or a dream that you have, you know, so many people uh, live, live in fear rather than living their dream. And I, I've always wanted to live, um, you know, away from the fear side of life. And so when I met Miriam, my wife, I was just I just realized hey I've got I've got to I've got to spend some time with her and and uh and uh see if she's the one. So I actually had a a 1971 old muscle car. It was called a Holden Monaro for anyone who knows the Australian cars. It's like a Chevy SS, beautiful car. And I sold that and bought myself a wedding ring and went over to America and uh, proposed to Miriam eventually. And uh, then she, she put that car on her finger and, and I was a penniless immigrant to America. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's such a, a fantastically American dream kind of story. So, I mean, what was that like to sort of, you know, I think a lot of people don't have the opportunity or that point in their lives where they are, you know, legitimately starting completely from scratch. So how did you manage to, you know, find your way when you first got to the U.S.? Yeah, well, I was working in a retail store. I was earning $10 an hour. And this guy walks into the store. His name was Scott. And he wanted to buy a scanner because this is 1999. And this is the bleeding edge or the cutting edge of going paperless. And this is, you know, we just barely had dial up internet. And I, I don't think I'd even had an email address yet by that point. And the guy walks in asking for a scanner. I said to him, well, we're out of stock, but give me a business card and I will call you when it's in stock. I'll get it in stock for you. So a week later, I call him call him up. I said, Scott, come get your scanners. They're in stock. And so he came down and he said, come work for us. We're doing something really cool. We're turning medical records into digital documents and we're sending them online to insurance companies. And of course, I'm just thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. And I said, yes. <laughs> I mean, as long as it's paying more that- than $10 an hour, it's worth the risk, right? <laughs> That's right. And I was driving a Suzuki Swift, which was a three-cylinder engine, a really small engine. I bought it for about $1,000 and I was being paid 35 cents a mile to go around to hospitals and scan medical records with these scanners. So I was banking every cent of that mileage reimbursement and really enjoying the freedom of being able to work, uh, work out my own schedule for the day and work from home with a laptop. And I really got a taste for the first time of what it might be like to be an entrepreneur. And it was really liberating and, and really freeing uh, for, for the soul. And if anyone who has that gene in them to 
you know, like everyone listening here, we're, we're business minded and entrepreneurship minded and freedom minded. And that was really exciting. So my first attempt to go out on my own and do something similar, I crashed and burned. I got $30,000 in credit card debt, not one single customer. And I ended up back in a call center, uh, taking phone calls for collection for a collections agency. <laughs> but it was in that moment that I realized that it really sucked to be back in that uh, ball and chain situation where I had no way out. You know, now I had, you know, $30,000 in credit card debt now. And, and what, have, what have I got to show for it? Absolutely nothing. And something inside of me just yelled out and just said, Judd, you, you got this, you can do it. And, you know, when you, when you go back to your youth, when you're between the age of zero and seven, life gives us an ant, uh, this one word, really special one word. And for some people, life gives them a no. Maybe their parents grew up really struggling and never really were able to get ahead. And, and uh, so maybe they taught their children, hey, look, get a safe job. Don't stick your head out. Don't take any risks. Try to get into a big company and keep your head down. Whereas someone else, they might have been raised with parents who were willing to take take risks and 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 take a chance on failing on something. And so my parents were always trying uh, something new and trying to uh, uh, manifest their gifts and live with purpose and and always being entrepreneurial. And so even though I had just failed, my parents gave me a beautiful gift in that one word, which was a yes in my heart. And and uh, I was able to just keep going. And and even though it was hard and even though I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel yet, all I saw was debt, one bedroom apartment with my wife and my and my and, and one little child and uh, no, no way yet of seeing how I was going to do this thing. But I decided that I was going to do it on the side, that I was just going to keep pushing. And after a few months, I finally got this one guy who called me back. And he's like, hey, Judd, I like, I like what you got. Let's, let's discuss more. So we had a phone call and that just reinvigorated my spirit. I thought, yes, I can do this. And guess what? He never signed up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you I win some, you lose some, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But uh, eventually, you know, you start getting some wins and, and it, it just comes down to willpower and it comes down to you manifesting what you want in your life. Right. And so, you know, I think it's uh, safe to say that uh, that, push that initial success that you had was with uh, Jaybird. Um, I mean, how did you even uh, come up with the idea uh, to pursue the like wireless headphone path? Um, yeah, so that that after I'd sold that first business that I was just uh, talking about, uh, gave me a little bit of money for a couple of years to live and a little bit of money to put into something new. And as I was running one day, I had this iPod cable or iPhone cable, just flopping left and right in front of me as I'm running along and it's tugging at my ear. And I thought it was so annoying and so silly that we had this wire. And then I'd go back to my desk at home and I'd have a wireless keyboard and a wireless mouse. Mm. Everything was just the wrong way around. We had wireless where it didn't need to be. And we had wired where we needed it to be free and, and liberating where we could move. And I, I looked around and I found not a single thing, not a single headphone on the planet in 2005 was wireless, something that you could use while you were, you know, working out secure fit, small, miniaturized, wireless, sounds great, all that kind of stuff, sweatproof, nothing. And here I am with, with no experience in, in, in um, headphones or electronics trying to strategize and think, how could I do this? If, if these really big brands 
like Sennheiser or Jabra or Plantronics, Bose, all these big companies, if they're so smart, why haven't they done wireless yet? Clearly wireless works. I've got a wireless keyboard and mouse on my desk. So I started to strategize on how I might be able to do that. Mm. And if you can pull together the right team, you know, it's the it's the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world really do change the world. And and Jaybird, we led that wireless headphone revolution from 2005 onwards. This was before iPhone and Android even came around. We we had to plug a dongle into the bottom of an iPod at that at that point. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you you hit upon something that is really integral to. Uh, entrepreneurship, it's not enough to have the drive, but you also have to look at it from the perspective of fulfilling a need, uh, which you which you certainly did, uh, it sounds like. And, you know, uh, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on your previous endeavors, just because you have a lot coming up in the future that I'm really excited about. Uh, but to sort of cap off the uh, Jaybird part of the interview, you did eventually uh, leave Jaybird, you sold uh, Jaybird to Logitech. Um, you know, can you talk to me a bit about that decision and I guess that experience of letting something go that you built from the ground up? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as entrepreneurs, we we don't get into business to have babies. <laughs> we get into business to become financially free, right? And uh, and when you're in a position after a lot of tribulation and a lot of uh, struggle and wondering how you're going to pay you know, meet the payroll every month that it rolls around and and all the stress and the, the problems that come along, then you start to have some really wonderful experiences as you start to surface and as you start to have uh, uh, success. But with success comes even more challenges with growth, you know, having to fund it all. And, and after a decade of this and not having any investors it became uh, quite challenging to manage it all and own it all and to fund it all and lead it all, all, you know, by yourself with a great team around you. Absolutely with a great team around you, but still you're the man or, or you're the woman who have, has to, it all comes back to you. And, and uh, with so much uh, potential for Jaybird yet to come with a really great roadmap and some really great successes in the rearview mirror and some really great partnerships, we were so attractive. And it was it was when everyone was saying, why would you sell right now? Everything is so good. Well, that's exactly when you should sell is when everything is so good because the buyer comes in going, of course, I want to buy this. Why would I not want to buy it? And uh, of course, the we had reached a point in our market share. We had become the third top um, premium headphone brand in the US and we were growing internationally. And uh, our valuation was in line with what I thought um, the company was worth finally. And, and so, yeah, that, that made a lot of sense. And so you get an investment banker and, and, uh, they make up a, a hundred page document, send it out to a hundred different companies, whether it was private equity or a strategic buyer, like, like Jabra or Logitech. And, uh, then you get a few offers back and you make your decision on which one you want to explore further. Right. So I guess it's safe to say that, you know, uh, another part of entrepreneurship is knowing to quit when you're ahead. Yes. Yeah. Knowing when to take profits when things are good, mm. not waiting for things start to become because, yeah, that's that's the other thing, too, is, you know, that uh, success in business can be fickle and and the uh, the economic conditions can be fickle and things we're doing. We're going very, very well for us. So it was that's a, that's well put, actually. Well put. 
All right. Well, it's time for a short break for some messages right now. But after that, I will continue speaking to Judd uh, all about his future endeavors. So do stay tuned to Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Buggy Free Minum. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. You're listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong, and today I'm speaking to Judd Armstrong. Uh, he's currently based in the U.S., and we were talking earlier about uh, his initial big success, which was founding uh, Jaybird, uh, which was the third top premium headphone brand in the U.S. alongside Beats and Bose. And uh, we touched a little bit upon the uh, the the humble beginnings of Judd Armstrong uh, in, in the beginning of the show, uh, where we discussed the fact that you are an immigrant. Uh, you moved to uh, the U.S. from Australia with uh, a wedding ring and big dreams. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to ask us a, a very. Uh, I just wanted to ask about that. Actually, I don't know if this is something that you you feel is. Uh, uh, I don't know if this applies to you, but um, I was reminded a lot of a line from um, the musical Hamilton uh, when it came to your story, which is uh, immigrants we get the job done, and I was wondering if. Your, um, you know, your drive and your passion and your uh, kind of determination was at all fueled by the fact that you are an immigrant. Like, did you feel that you had to fight harder as a result? Oh, I love that question. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I absolutely believe uh, I've thought a lot about that point that you just raised, raised Christine, and that is that immigrants uh, typically typically do strive harder than the than the people who are born in a certain place. I think it, you know, when, when uh, Victor Frankl put it really well, he said, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract, they distract themselves with pleasure. So if you grow up in a certain place, it's easy to be comfortable with that environment. And it's easy to feel like, you know, life is just always going to be this way. And so you get comfortable, right? But Thomas Edison, he said that opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks a lot like work. <laughs> so when an immigrant comes into a new place, it's game on, right? Like you, like you said, you, you're, uh, you're, all your senses are switched on and you know that you've got only a certain amount of time to establish yourself. And the, and the fact that you're in establishment mode, you're really looking at opportunities and, and rolling your sleeves up and saying, let's get to work. Mm. And I think another thing that we hit on, you know, at the beginning of the interview was this um, uh, passion about financial independence. You mentioned that as a sort of freedom uh, and and a big part of the appeal for you of becoming an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of other entrepreneurs also really, uh, really prize that. Uh, So, you know, talk to me a little bit about this, this idea of financial independence and how it's affected you. Yeah, that's that's quite core to the things that I hold valuable in my life. Um, that is, you know, when, when we're providing for a family or anyone who depends upon us, as as entrepreneurs or as people who are employed, even it's really really critical in in these times today when you look at the world around you and you look at the threats or the risks that are around you, whether you're running your own business or whether you're employed by another employer, it's really critical that our providing for our dependents, our children or our partners, it's important that that providing is more than one layer deep, that we have a backup plan because life is very uncertain nowadays. And I've felt that deep in my heart way back from the beginning that 
I need to do more than just get a paycheck because I don't feel comfortable with someone else having the power over my over my life and my family's life to say, sorry, you don't have a job anymore. Or if you're in a, if you're running a business where a big customer can say, sorry, we can't afford to do business with you anymore. And now you've got a big problem on your hands. So I've always wanted to be in a situation where I pulled the strings and I, I felt like I had control over, over that part of my life. And so striving financial for financial freedom is really important. We've got to get out of debt. We, we can't have mortgages. We can't have credit card debts. We, we, we need to have a year of income in the bank. We need to have tangible assets. Those kind of those are the kinds of things that are really important in today's world. So, we have a farm back in Australia. Uh, we have a lot of self-sufficiency there and off-grid power and all that kind of stuff. So, there's, I think we need to take more of those things back into our hands nowadays. And if if you're not in a position to own land because you might be in a very dense city in a populated city, and that that makes sense too, at least pay off your debt work mm. towards being out of debt completely and, and, and having that autonomy and that freedom in your life and that sense of peace. Right. And, you know, I think uh, earlier as well in your career, you mentioned, uh, you know, when you when you were making $10 an hour, you, you moved into, um, I guess, digitizing medical records um, as, a, as a sort of fluke uh, moment. And uh, another sort of fluke moment that you had with technology and, and sort of the digital world was you started to develop an interest in fintech, um, uh, specifically Bitcoin, uh, which led to the creation of the Unlisted app. So can you tell me a bit about, you know, your discovery of that world of fintech and how it led you to create uh, Unlisted. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So before I started Jaybird, so back in 2005 and six, a long time ago now, uh, I was trading stocks and options and Jaybird was just an idea, like a fun project on the side. And I, I wanted to make those headphones really for myself. The first goal was just to sell some on Amazon uh, and make, Make my money back and then of course it rolled into a much bigger thing which was exciting to be able to do something that you're passionate about but i'm also passionate about trading and after i finished jaybird bitcoin had become something and so i as i was farming uh, over the last few years i was also with you know my head into the computer screen and and dissecting and understanding what bitcoin was all about and if if you're new to it it's simply this it's just a currency and it, it fluctuates in value against uh, other currencies like the US dollar, for example. So you can buy and sell Bitcoin based on the, the price of it against the US dollar. And I found a way with just 12 trades a year on average to double my money every six months. So that's the track record. And when you take, say, $5,000, you pull a calculator out and double that every six months for four years, it gets to be about a million bucks. And that's really, that's really remarkable. And that's, that's something that I got excited about. I thought, wow, um, I know the struggle. I know the struggle to be financially free. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are winners, but they just need a little bit of help. They need a little system to help them on their way. And if I could make an app that would allow people to come in and trade Bitcoin the way that I trade Bitcoin. And if you're an entrepreneur and if you have five or $10,000 or the equivalent in your local currency uh, that you can spare, then you can have this as a side hustle, side hustle as, a, as a contingency plan and as a backup plan um, for providing for, for those special people in your life. And uh, I'm really, really excited about this app. It's called Unlisted. It's you can see our website, it's unlisted.io. 
And uh, we have uh, several hundred people in, in the app already. We're only going to a thousand. So it's, it's going to fill up by the end of this year, I would say. That's fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, a big part of a, a problem that you've addressed is the fact that not everyone is, um, I guess, not as passionate or as even knowledgeable about trading. And it can be very intimidating to step into that world for the first time. So you're sort of just uh, bridging the gap there, I suppose, for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we even uh, automate the trading. So if you don't, if you're not comfortable with it all, um, that's totally fine because all you got to do is sign up and, and we help you along the way with the account sign up and, and uh, you don't give the money to us at all. You put the money on an exchange, uh, a popular, uh, very credible exchange and uh, we do those trades for you and you get full reporting through the app. You can chat with us in the app and we give daily updates in the app on how it's all going. Fantastic. And I think that leads us very nicely on to um, sort of the last element of this uh, interview because, you know, I think it's been established you are very driven, you are very positive, uh, and you're clearly passionate about uh, finance and being able to find freedom. And this is all culminated in the development of your next app called Jump. So tell me a bit more about Jump and how that works. Yeah. All right. So I found that there's, there's two people in life. Um, entrepreneurs are typically people who grew up with that yes as, the, as a child that their parents or their environment taught them that good things are meant to happen to them in life. And if you put yourself out there, things will event, even though it may be hard, where there's a will, there's a way and you can do great things in life. There are, there's a, another group of people and sometimes we, we blend across two of the, you know, these two groups. It's not always clear cut, but there are a lot of people in this world who grew up with a no. And, and, uh, and so the jump app is designed to, to help people break out of the no. And instead of living in their fears to actually, there's that dream on the shelf that's been sitting there for so long collecting dust. And you know, you've got to do it because you're not going to be your most fulfilled, joyful self until you get out there and live with the purpose. But it's those fears and the no's that are holding you back. And you, you, you just get stuck looking for the next how-to tip. How can I do this? Can someone help me? Well, it's not that you need the how-to tip and it's not that you need the advice. You need to trust your heart and you need to let go of your, your inhibitions. How do you do that? Well, I remember being in high school and I was playing on a high school basketball game and I was so nervous because there was a girl I liked. She was in the in the stand and my parents were there, had some friends there. The, 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 it was all full and lots, lots of people watching. There was a fast break and the captain of the team, he was dribbling the ball up the court and I was on the in the other side of the court running with him and he passed the ball to me. And I was so shocked because he's the better player. He should shoot the ball. So I, I passed it back to him and he looked at me and said, no one's around. You can get this job. This is finally like a shot that you can make. So he threw it back to me and I said, no way. I don't want to look silly and miss. So I threw it back to him. <laughs> so we're playing tennis on a basketball court and I, I didn't want to look silly by missing the shot, but you know what? It's obvious. I made myself look silly. It was self-fulfilling mm. because I was playing tennis, right? And, and uh, throwing it back to him. Of course, eventually he shot the ball. But the lesson from that, once I got home and I just felt so embarrassed and I got home and I realized I made a commitment to myself that I was no longer going to let fear hold me back. 
And when you, when you really allow that desire to get deep inside you, it really is powerful in your life. Now, getting back to the jump app, it turns out that 95% of the things we think, feel, and the things we believe about ourselves and our life are all subconscious by the time we're an adult. Isn't that powerful to know mm -hmm. that 95% is subconscious? It turns out that we actually rewrite and we update our subconscious program twice a day. As we drift off to sleep, we go through theta brainwave state, which is the same brainwave state we live in between the age of zero to seven when we were absorbing the lessons of life. Right. And, and as we drift off to sleep and as we wake up, we go through the theta brainwave state. And that's where we rewrite every single day. We both did it, Christine, last night and this morning when we, when we went off to sleep and we woke up. So if you have a, a little movie that the jump app creates for you and you, you put in your positive affirmations in present tense, the things that are most valuable to your life, put an image behind it and a soundtrack behind it. We've actually teamed up with Napster for our music soundtracks. And then you play that two minute movie as you go to sleep. And as you wake up over a few months, you will completely rewrite your programming. And there's some great experiences that I've had personally and some others have had already with our beta app. And it's really remarkable stuff. And the power of the mind is in, incredible. And that's why I'm excited about Jump because it takes the no people and, and helps them to take steps to port towards having a yes life. That is fantastic. And on that note, we've come to the end of this interview. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you today, Judd. Thanks a lot, Christine. All right. You've been listening to Raise Your Game with Christine Wong. If you've missed any of this podcast, you can download our BFM app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also head over to our website, bfm.my, or you can catch us on Spotify or wherever else you find your podcasts. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business station.